Hello and welcome to the January 29th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my life. This is my neighborhood. But this is our podcast journey. Tonight, we are going to discuss bipolar disorder again, specifically mania. I am looking forward to this episode. I'm glad you're joining me tonight. Welcome again to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. All right, hello everybody and how are you tonight? It's good to have everybody with me. And I know I am certainly happy to be out there with you. Oh, uh, it's been It's been quite a long couple of days, to say the very least. Um, I have a lot to talk to everybody about, um, you know, one of the uh, specific things that I recall reviewing last time with my Suboxone 101 episode was I spoke to everybody in a brief moment, I kind of updated you on how I was feeling, and I, I, I think I took it for granted in the sense where I, I very quickly reviewed my symptoms, which were little to none, if anything at all, and I, I don't remember the exact phrase or term that I said, but I basically said I was doing great, and I have to tell you that it has certainly taken a bit of a turn for the worse, uh, and we're going to get to all of that, because specifically tonight we're going to be talking about bipolar, and you know this is what this podcast has always been intended to do. And eventually we were going to head down this road into my neighborhood. And our true podcast journey was eventually going to be about bipolar disorder and hopefully helping those of you who are either uh, living with the disorder or happen to know somebody or love somebody that has bipolar disorder. And it's going to be an effective podcast from both stages or from both perspectives, let's say. Uh, it's not going to matter whether you have it or whether you love somebody with it, because either way, my ultimate plan was to basically help people and, and, and at the same time help myself. And I realized that one of my most important things that I have to do, especially when I'm tracking my moods, is you know I have not really been checking off talk therapy. And this, for me, is talk therapy. And I have to make sure that I'm checking this off more often which means I have to come out there, come, you know, present my life, my neighborhood, and present it more so it becomes our podcast journey so we could really talk about um, bipolar disorder and, and some of the wacky things that really go on with this uh, disorder. And I have to tell you, it, it could be really horrific at times. I think, again, the words I used last time where everything is great and everything is not great, but with that being said, the good news is, because I don't want people to get upset out there and um, think that that I'm in a bad state of mind, because uh, right now I actually am in a very good state of mind. I would say that I'm stable right now. I did not report any symptoms today at all. I have the opportunity to report as to if I have no symptoms, mild symptoms, moderate symptoms, or severe symptoms in terms of my mania, depression, and anxiety, and there are a few other things that I track as well, but I have to tell you that today, 
uh, was a, a day in which I had absolutely no symptoms, no psychotic symptoms, and uh, no, no manic symptoms, no anxiety, no irritability, but we're going to get to what has transpired over the last couple of days, specifically talking about uh, my mania, and we're going to be breaking up our podcast in, into different sections because there's so much to talk about when it comes to bipolar that you know we can't just concentrate well we can't just concentrate on mania and depression and uh, all the things that go along and the the mixed episodes that might transpire and the um and forgive me if i'm pronouncing it wrong uh, psych good, good god cyclo cyclothymia i believe it's called cyclo cyclothymia Cycloth, it's so hard to pronounce i don't even know send me an email and tell me how to pronounce it the last time i did it uh, I was able to pronounce it. I had to do so from looking on YouTube, and they actually said it for me. So I'm going to put you on pause for one second. And now I have it, cyclothymia. I actually had made a mistake at one point. I had thought that cyclothymia meant mixed episodes, and I was absolutely incorrect. And I've never presented that on the podcast. But uh, I've been thinking to myself that that's what that meant, cyclothymia. And really what it is, is just a milder fer uh, version of bipolar. But again, we're going to get to all of those things right now. For this purpose, for this podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the things that I've experienced over the last couple of days, and specifically talking about bipolar 1 and mania, along with uh, psychotic symptoms, along with mixed symptoms, mixed episode symptoms, and we'll get to that. So before I do anything, I think it's very important um, that I make mention of somebody who has, um, you know, there's a little patron button. I don't know if you have ever seen that, and it's been there forever. And what I mean by that patron button is there is a way to pledge to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, and I'm not going to even tell you how because it doesn't matter to me. Uh, it's been there since day one, from the minute that I started doing these podcasts, and I've never made mention of it because I am not searching for money from anybody. But there is a Be a Patron button uh, specifically on Podbean, and I don't ask for a donation on my podcast, but I do make mention of it in my website in regards to uh, the donation that, for those of you who would be kind enough to offer a donation, everything would go to Bipolar Research, uh, go, also go to ulcerative colitis as well as Crohn's to honor the um, the illness, so to speak, or the autoimmune disease that my um, son Junior suffers from. So uh, I, I did have a patron over the last couple of days, and I'd like to make mention of her. And uh, her or, or him, I, I believe it's a her, uh, it, it would make sense. Uh, the spelling of the name I, I came through as Robin D. Fox. So Robin D. Fox, I believe that's how it would be pronounced. I, I don't know exactly what it means. I don't know if that's your first and last name. I have to assume your first name is Robin, but when the... Donations come through, it comes through in a certain way, and that's the way it came through. And I'd really like to thank Robin D. Fox, or R-O-B-Y-N-D-F-O-X, for your very generous donation. It's very much appreciated by Mr. Joe. I cannot thank you enough. And uh, that will be the last that I say about donations. Uh, what I will say to everybody is it's actually rather important that I hear some feedback about my podcast. The best way to do so would be probably through 
the Apple Podcast uh, via iTunes. Uh, I'd love a, a rating. You know, most podcasts will ask for a five-star rating. If I don't deserve five stars, I don't want five stars from you. Uh, I want you to be perfectly honest with me. Please let me know what I'm doing right. Let me do what I'm doing. Let me know what I'm doing wrong. Uh, but, but do please leave me a rating on either iTunes or Podbean. Any kind of message would be welcome. Love to hear what you have to say. And at the end of this podcast, we'll certainly review my email address and my Twitter account as well. So now that we got our special thank yous out of the way, uh, let me give you a quick update on my family. I think it's important because we haven't talked a lot about my family. And I think a lot of my stress over the last couple of days has probably been related to Junior, I have to say. Um, as, as I just mentioned, Junior, and I've mentioned on my pre- previous podcast, Junior does suffer from ulcerative colitis as well as Crohn's disease. And Junior is only 12 years old. He's had a tremendous amount of colonoscopies. And uh, he just actually went for the second time he went for an MRI of his abdomen. And it's actually uh, a two-part test in which they take different pictures of his abdomen. And many people think that this is just a routine test. And I have to tell you, the first time my son took this test, which was about two years ago, maybe a little less, uh, he was unable to do it. And a lot of people think, you know, if he could do a colonoscopy prep, how in the world can't you prep for an MRI or, or be able to lay in a tube and sit there? Well, now for me, I actually have to be put out completely if I was to lay in an MRI tube because one of the things I suffer from as well is claustrophobia. And, um, you know, so it's nearly impossible for me to be awake during a uh, MRI. My son, I did not share this with my son. It's very important that I don't. I don't want to instill any fear into him. So he was able to do it and sit through it like a trooper, but that's not the big thing that goes on during the MRI. It has nothing to do with sitting in a tube and... Um, hearing the loud sounds. For my son, uh, he is certainly a trooper when he goes through the colonoscopy preps. And, you know, it breaks my heart. If You know, for those of you who have never seen your child be put out, and I will tell you, a lot of times with autism, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm swinging a little bit off topic here, uh, parents of children with autism, for those of you who have not seen it, uh, consider yourself very lucky because I have seen a number of children with autism have to be put out specifically for dental work. Uh, something as simple as a cavity um, because it's just a lot of children with autism have a very difficult time at the dentist. And uh, a lot of people, parents of children with autism would probably be able to relate with me or uh, those of you who are dealing with something that's relatable to Junior uh, with this MRI. Now, it breaks my heart to see him go through the anesthesia part of the colonoscopy. But with the MRI, what made it so difficult and what made him ultimately not be able to do the MRI last time was this horrific prep that he has to do in the office. You know, with a colonoscopy, you have the pleasure of doing it within your own home, the confines of your four walls with your mom, with your dad, whoever you're sitting with. Uh, most of the time, my, my son does colonoscopy preps with me. Uh, that's by his choice, chooses not to do it with my ex-wife, and I don't think it's anything against her. I think he's just more comfortable when it comes to me doing it. Uh, and, you know, this time around, he had to do the MRI prep, which every 20 minutes he is forced to drink this uh, disgusting carbonated drink 
that is is a lot. It's it's really a lot. And this time around, he was able to get the first bottle down within 15 minutes. And I kind of thought he rushed it a little bit. You know, last time he got a half a bottle down and he could not do it anymore. We were not even able to go through with the test. And the reason why he has to drink this drink is because it allows them to see better inside his stomach, see exactly what's going on. Uh, so last time he was not able to get enough drink in him, so they were not able to see anything. They couldn't take pictures of his stomach. Wouldn't be able to be a complete waste of time. This time he got through the first bottle, struggled a bit on the second bottle, but my little guy Junior got through, got through that second bottle, and by the time he got to the third bottle, he was reminiscent of the first time that he had failed. My My little guy was literally vomiting in his mouth, he put his head into my chest as we took a walk because I told him it was important that we walk around and get him up and put his head into my chest. And my, my kid is, Junior is a tough kid, man. He's been through a lot. And when he puts his head into my chest and says, Dad, my stomach hurts so much, I don't know what to do. You know, you, your heart just breaks as a father. It really does. And I know it might sound simple. But it's not. It's really not. You know, it's, it's not a regular stomach ache. It's the same feeling I had when, you know, my, my son Junior called me into the, the bathroom and said, Dad, could you come in and look? You know, you look into a toilet bowl and you see blood throughout his stool. It's the same kind of feeling you have uh, when, you know, he dips his head into your chest and says, Dad, I don't think I could do this anymore. I really, really am hurting. And so I went to the technician and I said, is it really necessary for him to continue this. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? He's actually taking an adult dose right now of this drink, so let's let's stop. Nevertheless, we stopped. He went through the MRI, and uh, sadly, the computer broke down about a quarter of the way through, so my poor junior had to do it all over again. And then what really broke my heart, I have to tell you, is uh, when they put the contrast through him, you know, they hook up a big tube and they send it through your arm and I kind of knew it was going to be rough because I've had it done before. I had it done. I had an MRI of my brain, as a matter of fact, when I had extremely low testosterone, which, uh, <laughs> go figure. I mean, you know, the problem, probably why I had the low testosterone is because I was at the time taking anabolic steroids that were prescribed from my doctor. Um, and probably taking them incorrectly. So that, and I had told them that I was no longer on them. Now you would think that extra testosterone pumped into your body would produce a test of more testosterone, but for some reason I think at the time I had stopped taking the anabolic steroids and I came off them, so my levels were very low. So they were concerned and they had me, they were concerned that they thought I had some kind of a tumor on my head and they had to, uh, uh, send me for an MRI, and I specifically remember that contrast going through, and my goodness, it was a nightmare. I felt this burning sensation travel through my arm. Uh, I, I didn't remember totally, so I didn't want to scare him, but, you know, when you're sitting there and you're watching your son and you see his body kind of jerk, and, you know, I'm watching him hold his breath for the pictures, and, you know, it just really, really upset me, and you know, only one of us, I was with my ex-wife, and only one of us were, was allowed into the room. And I'm not going to waste your time or my time talking about my ex-wife's behavior during the MRI. It was actually quite sickening, to say the least. 
not because she was mean or nasty or did anything wrong to anybody. Um, she just doesn't have a lot of class. And she was hacking and coughing all over everybody. You know, she charged into the room when the computer broke down. and She really wasn't allowed in there because in order for me to go into the room, they had to do a big, big check in terms of any metal that was on my body. And she just walked right in and, you know, and then she started touching Junior and she wasn't supposed to put her hands on him. So whatever, I said I wasn't going to say anything and here I am talking about it. I can't help myself. Um, so, you know, watching your kid go through this, it wasn't easy. But he made it. He went through. I got the compact, oh, the DVD. I thought it was a CD. It's on DVD now. There was a DVD that went to me and also was going to his uh, gastroenterologist. And however you say it, sorry if I said it wrong, I'll call it his gastro. <coughs> and, um, excuse me. Now uh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see and see what the results are. You know, maybe we'll get some good news. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. Um, so that's the update on Mickey. I'm um, sorry, not Mickey, on Junior. Mickey's next. Uh, Junior's, you know, it, it took a lot out of him, took a lot out of me from a stress standpoint. You know, so maybe that has something to do with why I ended up feeling the way that I felt. We all know that stress triggers a lot of times bipolar symptoms. Will trigger it will trigger our bipolar. It you know the way that we handle stress, you know, has a lot to do with it. So and speaking of stress, I got to tell you, there's a few people on Twitter that I had to stop following because I could not believe some of the uh, links to their articles that they put out talking about managing bipolar disorder without medication and um, you know just learning how to talk to yourself and do meditation and control your stress in that way and ultimately you control your bipolar symptoms. Uh, listen, okay, I have a I have a partner, well, not a partner, but uh, yeah, well, you know, a bipolar partner, bipolar fellow men out there who does podcasts alongside of me. His name is Bipolar Bob and uh, I think he would agree with me and if you've listened to his podcast, you'll know uh, we are not believers in the theory that you know, bipolar could be treated without medication. I used to feel that way. Used to feel that way, but I do not feel that way anymore. And, you know, when I did feel that way, I was a complete jerk. So, um, you know, and unfortunately, I was a real jerk the last couple of days as well. But we'll get to that. Uh, Mickey. Mickey is nine months old now. Mickey is just about there walking. Oh, such an angel. Such a good kid. We had a little bit of a scare. I might have mentioned it on another podcast. A soft spot on his head was closing way too fast. Um, and it's caused a little bit of a physical, um, cosmetic type of imperfection, but so be it. I'm not worried about it. Uh, it. Took him to a neurosurgeon for the second time, and they said they actually do not want to see us back. So my wife and I are just ecstatic. Uh, he is developing cognitively beautifully. Uh, he got a little bump on his head, uh, and I believe he'll grow into it, so I'm not worried about him at all. The the child is literally, I guess you call it cruising when you hold on to the furniture, just walking all around. Um, the kid is making sounds and noises and, you know, he said, dad, dad, uh, he goes, dad, 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 you know, like that. And he says, mama. And, you know, it's just, 
it's amazing to see the development. And I got to tell you, it breaks my heart. It really does. And I know not a lot of parents are not looking for sympathy, so to speak, when it comes to autism. But as somebody who's been doing this for 26 years, working with autism, we cannot help but you know hope that our children are going to grow up uh, cognitively on a level that's you know functioning at least to say the very least so you know dealing with a disability is not easy it's not easy and autism is not an easy thing to live with i have to tell you um so we're very grateful that uh mickey's doing well and uh then we have sarah lee <laughs> what could i say about sarah lee i actually talked to her tonight she's uh she, her and I had a very long conversation, and we talked about her friends. Uh, she got into a big fight with one of her friends, 14 years old. These are the things that go on. So for those of you who do not have a teenage daughter, or uh, you're working your way towards a teenage daughter, prepare yourself for some utter nonsense. Now, it, it, listen, it's not nonsense from her perspective. And, and I, try to teach, I try to treat her with a respect. Um, instead of saying things such as, you know, oh, knock it off and what's the big deal. And those are the things I want to say. But, you know, I can't help but think back to my childhood. And, um, you know, I lost all my friends in ninth grade. I lost all my friends, every single one of them, gone. And I had some best friends. I had some really great, great, great friends. And, you know, my, my mother, she she taught me to be or to at least think that I was perfect growing up. Um, you know, my, my, my sister, she was treated like the stepchild, so to speak. Um, my sister, who happens to be my best friend in the entire world, um, and for those of you who have a sibling, regardless of the age difference, you know, it really doesn't matter. As you get older, um, you know, me and my sister fought a lot when we were younger, um, and I mean real young, you know, when I was... Uh, let's say, 12, and, you know, she was four years younger, eight, nine, ten, eleven. When she was eight and I was 12, or, you know, we used to wrestle and I'd beat the you-know-what out of her. And But as we got older, you know, at a very young age, too, you know, in our teens and up into our 20s, and we always were close, always were close. And here we are now, I'm 42, and she's almost five years younger than me, and I have to tell you, she's my best friend in the whole world. And... Um, you know, I, I believe she listens to these podcasts. In fact, I know she does. So I might as well not be modest here. And, um, you know, if you're out there listening to this one, I do love you with all my heart. And you know that. Uh, but you were not treated well uh, growing up. And me, I was made to think that I was the most perfect thing in the world. Um, and, I, and I expressed that as I was growing up. I, I made everybody believe or tried to make everybody leave, believe that I was the best, the best at everything. And uh, I lost every single one of my friends because of it. And it was not fun. And that came in ninth grade. So when I look at my daughter and see some of the things that she goes through, it's very hard for me because I always anticipate that she's going to go through what I went through. And it scares the living daylights out of me because I can't imagine my children suffering the way that I suffered. You know, now we are responsible for our own actions. I will always say that. But when you're in ninth grade and you're taught to act a certain way, 
you're not really an adult at that point in time. You just don't know. So you, you want to trust in your parents and believe in your parents. And I do really place the blame on the loss of my friends and the, the bullying and the picking on. And, you know, literally, guys, spitballs were thrown at me and garbage. And, you know, I ate at a lunch table by myself for an entire year. This is, in, you know, this is a person who, in eighth grade, I, I honestly remember all the superlatives. They were called superlatives. And, you know, I was second place in best looking. And, you know, and I'm not saying this to be conceited at all. Uh, please don't think that. I'm not on my high mania horse, so to speak, because this conceitedness and grandiose ideas and thinking I was on top of the world, uh, that only got worse as I got older, to be honest with you. Uh, but at that point in time, I was an adult and responsible for my own actions. This time in my life, I was taught to be this way. And, you know, in eighth grade, uh, when people didn't know any better, and they were more or less scared of me, who, you know, the best baseball player in the school, which I was, and, you know, the captain of the wrestling team, which I was, and second place in, in uh, best looking, and second place in most popular, and first place in class flirt. You know, um, these are the things that, that went on. So people, you know, they, they thought I was kind of cool. And then when they grew up a little bit, and I grew up, which was only a year later in high school, and realized that this man is an absolute jerk who thinks that he could just get any girl he wants, do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants, and all along... Just walk around thinking and saying that he's better than everybody else. So those are the things that used to go on in ninth grade for me. Now, I have to remind myself that my daughter's not like that. Sarah Lee is not like that. And I have not raised her to be that way. But I cannot help but worry when she tells me she got into a fight with a friend and, you know, a friend was making fun of her and... You know, and then I had her, she, she actually volunteered to read me her text messages, her group text messages, and I actually had a sigh of relief after I had heard her text messages because it was really the typical teenage nonsense girl stuff that goes on at 14 years old. But again, at that age, it's very real. Um, so I do my best to educate her on the, the truth of the matter is a lot of these people will not be around come, you know, the next four years when she goes to college. Now, me, on the other hand, I'm a very different person. I still have the same friends that I had literally when I was uh, five years old. You know, we all grew up together. Those same friends left me in ninth grade and only a few years, exactly one year later by 10th grade, uh, they had all accepted me back. As a matter of fact, I had gained a new group of friends and when I, I finally got on the same level as everybody else, for a short time at least, up until uh, I, I went to college, and that was a whole other story. That is when I believe my true bipolar symptoms came out. But um, I actually was able to take my new friends that I made in 10th grade, the old friends that had left me, and I kind of joined them all together. And I was the glue that brought everybody together, so to speak. And, you know, the same guys that I grew up with, we went to college together, and now as adults, we're all still friends. Uh, but the, the, the truth of the matter is, I can't talk to my friends 
about any of this stuff. I can't talk to them about drugs because none of them are drug addicts. Can't talk to them about bipolar because none of them have a mental illness. Um, you know, at least as, as much as I don't believe, although one of my buddies does believe he is suffering from or living with. Don't really like to use the word suffering, um, you know, because it sounds a little harsh. We don't, you know, we do suffer, but why, why make mention of it, okay? We, we work through things, okay? We, we, we live them. We don't suffer. We live through them. Uh, so my, my buddy thinks he is living with seasonal affective disorder where he gets depressed in the uh, winter and it would make perfect sense. I actually happen to agree with him and I am going to be doing a podcast on that at some time in the near future. So um, anyway, it's hard to talk to all of them. I, I, I really, I have two people to talk to and that's the God, God's honest truth. And one of them being my wife, she's wonderful, but there comes a point in time where my wife just can't stand it anymore. And I, who could blame her? Who could blame her? Because she is the primary target. She is the one that gets the brunt of all this nonsense that goes on. You know, for some reason, I am able to conduct myself in a proper manner when I am out at work, or at least so I, I think. You know, at least I, I, I would have hoped so. It probably doesn't look too normal when people look at my desk and I have 17 different projects out. I mean, and that's one of the things that just went on. I, I, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming when the pressured speech started in the morning of Thursday. Now, Thursday, I had a very, very important thing to do for work. I had to speak in front of approximately 170 people. I'm used to speaking in front of large crowds, and this would be no difference. It was actually considered to be a, a medium-sized crowd for me. I've spoken in as much as 700 people, close to 1,000 people at a time. Uh, in this particular case, about 170 teacher aides. All of them, all every single one of them was a teacher aide. And um, I, I had, had to speak uh, around 3.30 in the afternoon. But on the way to work that particular morning, Thursday morning, Something insane happened to me where, and it's happened to me in the past, and I had, in looking at my e-moods tracker, I had noticed that I had several days of stability. To be honest, it was about 14 days almost. 14 days, which is the two-week time frame in which I feel ultimately stable. And... Right around day 14, what started to happen, and then again, this has happened to me before, is on my way to work while I'm driving, I, I started to feel this in, intense desire to blurt out words. Now, you're, gonna, you're all going to think I'm nuts, and, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's evidently clear to me that the medication that I'm on, which is Lamictal, and let's, you know, guys, I told you that I was not going to reveal the dosage. And I am not going to still, but I am going to tell you this, that I am working my way up towards a therapeutic level. So at some point in time, it's not going to be a secret any longer because for Lamictal, you really, you can go up to 200 milligrams. And I think that I'm probably going to end up there. And uh, I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, well, I'll tell you why now, really, because I, I had heard some sad information from my wife. Over the past weekend, she really told me that she has not seen a change in me. And it made me extremely sad because I feel like I've gotten better. 
And I'm hoping that it's somewhere in the middle. I really am. I'm hoping it's somewhere in the middle. Now, I felt the change transpire on Thursday morning, and this is where you're all going to think I'm nuts. I have a language. <laughs> I have a secret. I have this this funny little language that I made up when I was a kid, and I'm not going to say it because it would probably give me away for those of you who might be living in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. If you haven't recognized my voice by this point in time, this would certainly give it away because I have a group of friends, and besides my group of friends, even the people at work, I've introduced this language to them, and it's nothing more than just a funny thing that I do. Um, I, I make up different names of characters. Um, it's actually really kind of silly and childish, uh, but it, it makes people laugh, and you know, it's almost like a. a I don't want to use. Uh, a different language like Chinese or Japanese because that's not what it is. I don't want to insult anybody, but if I was to able to be able to speak one of those languages, it would probably sound something like that. And uh, again, <coughs> excuse me, I do it in a joking uh, aspect. Now, Thursday morning, as I was driving, I felt this intense desire to start blurting out these words. And I did. I did. I started blurting out. Think about a, a, a man blurting out words that don't even make any sense. So we're not talking about me blurting out regular nouns or verbs, you know, car, chair, run, punch, kick. No, no, no. We're talking about me blurting out words that sound like they are completely in a different language. And it was a, 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 a very strange pressured speech kind of reaction and those of you who have bipolar disorder you'll notice that there are times when you might be in a hypomanic state of mind or uh, even close to mania where you'll start to have this increased desire to speak well uh, that certainly happens to me I kind of can't shut my mouth but in this instance this was a telltale sign in which I was starting to climb into a hypomanic state of mind because I could not stop blurting out these words no matter how hard I tried I couldn't stop and then at that point in time what had happened was I started to um, now I'm still driving and I stopped blurting out the words and what had happened was I started to hear voices uh, started to hear voices and voices that sounded like my own believe it or not. So I don't know if that's, I don't really know what that means. It's kind of a narrator in my head is usually what I hear. But in this particular instance, it was like my own voice uh, kind of pepping me on to keep going, saying, come on, keep shouting, keep shouting. And um, But it was my voice, but it wasn't. I don't know how to describe it. I just know it scared the living daylights out of me to the point where I pulled over into a local uh, coffee shop in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and I actually called my wife, and I said, you know, Mr. Bipolar Joe's wife, I said, I think it's happening again, hon. <laughs> I'm really, really scared. And she said, okay, well, you're going to the doctor. You're going to the doctor February 6th. Hang in there. You know, and those wonderful words, hang in there. <laughs> you know, hang in. I wish it was that easy to hang in there. Um, so I hung in there. Uh, I was actually magnificent during my presentation. Should not surprise anybody. For those of you who enjoy public speaking, 
when you're in a hypomanic state of, uh, you know, your mind, <laughs> it's the easiest thing in the world. And it was quite easy for me. And um, so I did wonderful. And, uh, you know, that was it. I, it was the beginning of what I would refer to as a hypomanic state. And I'll get into it a little bit more. Just so you know, the good news is it lasted Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So that's three days. And then around Sunday, it started to go away. And here we are now on Monday evening. And about Sunday, I'd say mid-afternoon, it started to diminish. So that's about three and a half days this lasted. Um, and it's more to it than this, the ridiculous blurting out. There's more to it, and I'll talk to you guys about that in one second. Um, so the good news is that this is something that would typically last me seven to ten days. And this time around, it lasted me three and a half. And that's been kind of what's been happening so, uh, since I've been on the medication. Now, let's uh, talk about the medication. I'm just on the Lamictal. I am not on an antipsychotic, and I have a funny feeling that at some point I'm going to have to be on an antipsychotic, but we'll get there. I have chosen not to go on one because, as you all know, I am also tapering down in my Suboxone. And I am pleasantly surprised to just realize that I am almost down to 0 0.50 milligrams per day. Down from point, I'm sorry, 1.0, almost down to 0 0.50. So I've almost nearly cut it in half. I believe as of Friday I will be dropping down to that 0 0.50. So I can anticipate after Friday probably some, uh, about three or four miserable days after that as I drop down in my dose. But I'm about at a 0.75 right now. Uh, I thought I was at an 8.75, but I'm about a 0.75, maybe a little bit in between a 7.5 and a 0.875. Um, but I'll be dropping down to a 0.50. I never thought I would get there. But I have chosen not to engage in an antipsychotic as of yet, mainly because, you know, I am uh, going down in the Suboxone, and I'd like to come off of that. I'm hoping within, and for those of you who have listened to my Suboxone podcast, um, cheer me on. I'm really thinking I might be coming off in like a month. I'm almost there. I really am. Um, and I'm excited about that. I really am. So, um, as for the Lamictal, my doctor has insisted that I go up 25 milligrams every two weeks to ensure that I do not break out with this rash. Um, I developed the rash the last time I was on it, or at least I think I did very hard to tell because in analyzing one of the very first times that I was on Lamictal, I was also abusing opiates. And if anybody who knows opiates, you will know, and it was the very, very beginning stages in which I was abusing opiates. I had already been clean from cocaine, um, and, and, and that lasted a long time. Um, as a matter of fact, the clean, you know, the, the, the sobriety from the cocaine lasted forever. I never went back to it. I switched over, um, to opiates. So I was sober from the cocaine, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but in the beginning of taking Lamictal, I was also abusing opiates. I was snorting Oxycontin and it was the very beginning stages of me abusing the opiates. So for all I know, I could have been having an itching reaction to the opiates and it wasn't even the rash who knows so because of that we were going to be very careful 
I can tell you that I am 100% moving up. As of this Friday, I will be increasing by 25 more milligrams in my Lamictal. So let's let the cat out of the bag. I mean, I am on a really low dose of Lamictal right now. Um, and, and again, I'm not, not because I've chosen to be on a low dose, but because we are going slowly. I'm only on 50 milligrams of Lamictal right now. So that gives me hope to thinking that uh, that is probably the reason why these episodes are still taking place. There's no doubt in my mind. And I'm hoping that my wife is, is there with me and believes in me and, and believes that this medication will work because good things are happening. The reason why she doesn't think good things are happening is because my wife is the punching bag. Now, what I mean by this is, you know, pressured speech is one thing, okay? Being happy, and let me tell you something. I have been all over my wife, kissing her, hugging her, touching her. Um, you know, I want, I, want, I want to be with her. One of the things that has uh, started to happen is my sexual... Um, desire is certainly returned as as suboxone. One of the things about suboxone um, being an opiate, or an opiate antagonist, or uh, however you pronounce it. I apologize to those of you if I'm not uh, pronouncing it correctly, but a partial opiate, let's say, still got that opiate property properties in it. Um, you know, you lose your sexual desire. You're not interested, but as you cut down on the suboxone, that starts to come back. And um, you know, I am. I am so madly in love my, with my wife, and, you know, things have been wonderful with us. And so I've been, you know, very, very uh, affectionate to her. She's been affectionate to me. We're raising a beautiful young boy. We, we are mad, madly in love. We've been together for five years, and um, I'm very, very lucky. But I have to tell you, if I was not medicated, there is no way that this woman would be able to live with me in this state of mind that I was in the last couple of days. It's not fair. It's just not fair. And so, you know, one thing is the pressured speech. It started like that. And then within a day, you know, I was very happy. I was very happy. Um, what had happened was I started to, uh, I'd say Thursday night, I started to em embark on all kinds of different projects. Before you knew it, I had my screwdriver out. I was fixing cabinets that did not need to be fixed for no reason, okay? You know, oh, it's hanging a little bit too low. I, I think the baby's hanging on it, and, you know, i got to fix that. So there I am fixing that. In the meantime, I'm, I'm putting a, um, what are those things called, the glass on a cell phone? Um, the Not fiberglass, uh, plexiglass or um, tempered glass, I apologize, tempered glass. So here I am, I'm screw-driving uh, cabinets. I'm placing tempered glass. I'm, you know, not able to to finish one single project. I'm all over the place doing laundry. You know, sorting laundry. I mean, nothing is being finished. I'm starting one thing and never ending anything. And before you know it, I got a million things out. I got computers started up all over the house. I'm updating virus scanners. I'm downloading. Um, spyware definitions. I mean, it, it's just it's backing up computers for no reason. I mean, things that are just not necessary. But I'm not hurting anybody. I'm being safe. And I'm feeding the mania, so to speak, okay? 
Um, and then, unfortunately, it's telltale with me. It goes from this happiness, this burst of energy, you know, this lack of sleep. I'm sleeping three hours a night at this point in time now. Um, and it goes to extreme, utter irritability and rage. And it, it, it reared its ugly head finally on Saturday. I had, what the, oh, Saturday I went for my son's MRI prep. And I came home, and I'm, you know, again, stressful situation. I'm sure that it had something to do with throwing me into that hypomanic, heightened state of mind. The stress, along with seeing my ex-wife as well, and not enjoying her company whatsoever. But you would think, you come home, and you should be happy to be home, happy to be with your wife. And what do we do? We walk in. Her parents are here, and that automatically has me pissed off. And excuse my language. For no reason. They're wonderful people. Love them both. I could sit here and say that now. They don't do anything to bother me. But, you know, when you're bipolar and you're not medicated or your medication is not working, you got a problem with everything everybody says. You take it all to heart. And that's what was going on. You know, your dad's... Uh, you know, he wants to know about my student loans. Who does he think he is? Well, why not? It's just a conversation. But this is, these are the things that, um, you know, I was, I don't want to say I was angry because in the past I would get so mad when I was completely unmedicated. If people were um, at my house that I didn't expect to be, this is my home, you know, how dare you? You know, well, my, my wife had to go to work. She actually had to go to my office in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. Um, she is working from home. I had mentioned in this particular time, my wife had to train somebody in place of me because I had to go to Junior's MRI prep. So my wife went to take my place and went to Mr. Joe's neighborhood's office and train somebody. She went on my computer. I gave her the password because we have this whole network system. Um, and, you know, my wife actually has been a part of my organization for a lot longer than me. She just happens to be contracting independently now. So <clears throat> my uh, in-laws, they had to watch Mickey. Uh, I was under the impression that because my mother and father-in-law, they live by Mr. Joe's office, I thought my wife would be dropping Mickey off there, but instead they decided that things were easier to come here, which, granted, there have been times where I have fought with my wife because I say, you know, why, why can't your parents come to us? Why must they make it so inconvenient for us that we have to take them there? And I've had all-out brawls with my wife, and I've made her cry. You know, sadly, I've made her cry. And now they're doing exactly what I want them to do, coming to us, offering, and I'm angry that they're here for no reason whatsoever. But Mr. Joe could put on the show and pretend, you know, hey, at this point I'm super talkative, so I'm talking and talking and blah, 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 to the point where, you know, my father-in-law says, all right, come on, we got to go, because I could, I can get my mother-in-law to engage in any kind of conversation, um, you know, so here I am, I'm talking with her, and finally they leave, and now in turn, so if that's the way you're behaving, there is a good chance that 
you might have bipolar disorder because it's it's completely irrational. Our behavior is completely irrational. So now I had not said anything to my wife at this point in time, but I got to tell you, we were looking forward to this weekend. You know, Mickey had the uh, not Mickey uh, Junior had the MRI. My uh, daughter Sarah Lee, she was with her friends. It was just myself. Not that I ever want to be away from my two older children, but it's a very rare thing that we have our weekends without kids. And, you know, uh, listen, Mickey's a kid, but, you, you know, he's nine months old, goes to bed early. He doesn't need, he needs a lot of attention, of course. You know, babies need more attention than anything. But it's just, it was just, this is our son. You know, my, my two older children are not, they were not produced, as, although my wife is like a mother to them. Let's let's be real. It's it's not her kids. Treats them like they're her own, and they they actually show more respect to my wife than they do their own mother. That's not something that I want them to do, but it makes me very happy that they love my wife so much. So, but it's still we had a big plan this weekend. We were excited to be alone. You know, we were excited, and the first thing that we were going to do because it was a nice day in Mister Joe's neighborhood is. One of the things that we always did was we always walked. We take the dogs. We have two dogs. I happen to have a um, a beachapoo, and uh, the other one is my goodness, it's it's escaping me right now. It is a uh, Cavachon, Cavachon. So they're both both Bichon uh, designer dogs, and they cost a small fortune. But they, the one has a King Charles Cavalier and Bichon, and the other one is Poodle. And Bijan, beautiful little animals, so beautiful. And we take them for walks, and we take Mickey for a walk. And this is something that we love to do. And because it's a little cold out here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, we have not had a chance to do it. And, uh, you know, walking is a wonderful thing when you have bipolar disorder because we will talk about um, mania, exercise-induced mania. It can occur. Um, when you do intense workouts, sometimes you can you know, cause a little bit of mania. We'll get into that at another time. But walking happens to be something that's very healthy to do. It's kept my cholesterol at a at an acceptable level. I mean, my cholesterol, when I'm not war- walking, my cholesterol has been over 500. Uh, my triglycerides at one time were close to 1,000. I mean, that's, that's insane. That's not normal. Uh, when I'm walking, those things are not happening. So um, we were looking forward to taking a walk in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And here I am, we're walking, and the first thing I do when we're walking, I turn to her and I say, you know, I'm not sleeping well. And I said, it's all because of these dogs. So here I am now, I'm ready to blame the world on everything. Really, it's because I'm in a complete hypomanic state of mind, okay? Uh, You know, so here I am, now I'm ready to blame everybody. I got three hours of sleep last night, and it's these these damn dogs, that's what I said. And the reason why I blame the dogs is because the previous night, I think they woke me up to go to the bathroom at 4 in the morning. Um, my sleep patterns have been absolutely horrendous, I have to tell you. Not sleeping well at all. This lamictal is making me urinate non-stop. I am up every hour on the hour at night. So I've constantly interrupted sleep. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But, you know, what I said to her was, I blame the dogs on my lack of sleep. And she turned to me and all she said, she said, Babe, I don't know if it's just the dogs. I think it's a combination of things. 
You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, okay, you know, I, I, I think I do, but, you know, you've been very irritable the last couple of days. I wanted you to know. And that was it. That's all I had to hear. I handed her the leash, the two leashes of the dogs. Now, normally I would, you know, when I'm not medicated, I'd be screaming and yelling in the streets. I wouldn't even care who was around me. There was a time where we were walking the dogs and we were in the middle of the street and some man was driving towards us and, you know, speeding up towards us. And, you know, I stopped right in the middle of the street and I stood there and I went over to his window and I screamed and yelled. I said, how dare you, you effing this and that. You could have killed us. I mean, we were at fault. We were walking in the middle of the street. He was driving fast, but... So my point is, there are times where I'd be an absolute maniac. I was not a maniac on this particular day, but I did, my, I did hand my wife the two leashes. I said, take the dogs, take the baby. And I walked home like a big baby, like a big, big baby. Now, here's what's so interesting. I have explained to everybody that in the past, this irritability would turn into um, extreme irritability where I would cry, I would yell, I would scream, I would start to injure myself. There were times I smashed my head, scratched my arms, cut myself. Uh, mixed state is what you call it, and we're going to define that in a minute. Mixed state of mind uh, in terms of you know depression and mania, I would, uh, the most recent one, when I was up in my son's room, you know, screaming and yelling and cursing at my wife and um, cutting myself, and then I wanted to die. I, I found myself on, I wrote a suicide note, and I wrote that, I read that to you guys, what I had said. Now, here's what's interesting. After I, after I left my wife and I came home, I picked up the uh, dog poop in the backyard, so I was able to actually do something, and you know I was actually even getting mad at the bags. Um, go figure, okay? The bags that you pick up the poop with uh, because the wind was blowing too hard. <laughs> That's the state of mind I'm in now. So I'm angry at the bags, okay? Yelling at the at the bags, putting the poop in the bags, and I rolled up the bags, I put them in the garbage, I came inside, and rather than and this is where, once again, I feel like the medication is working. And I know it's not going to sound like the medication is working based on the story that I'm telling right now. But here is the interesting thing. I didn't cry. I didn't hurt myself. Um, I didn't have those mixed episodes, so to speak, although I did yell at my wife when she came home. I continued to yell and scream and mainly because she told me that my medication wasn't working. And I got extremely defensive, and I started yelling, and I started screaming. I was being so irrational about... Uh, guys, I got to tell you, when I'm in the manic state, I don't even remember what I was yelling at. So it would be foolish for me to sit here and tell you that I was yelling. But here's what I'm getting at. Instead of hurting myself and crying and calling a suicide hotline, I actually had a wave of tiredness that came over me and I instantly fell asleep as if like I went into a minor depression, depression that my body could physically not move anymore. 
I stopped yelling. I went into bed. And I fell asleep for about two hours as if like I was depressed. You know, somebody who couldn't move, who felt like they had cement attached to every part of their body. I couldn't yell anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't get mad at anybody. Um, and, and it was not, although it was a lot of yelling at first, once the yelling ended, that's when I slept. So it was not necessarily uh, a, a so-called mixed episode. It went from extreme irritability right to that depression. So, again, it gives me hope and makes me think maybe that is a sign of good things to come, that that's as long as it's going to last. And that's how the medication is affecting what used to be mixed mixed episodes that would be exactly the same way, happy, energetic. You know, um, by the way, I forgot to tell everybody. I actually had to stop myself several times. I bought a few different things. Just so you know, that is one thing that I left out Thursday night on top of fixing things and all the things that I was doing. I was on Amazon and eBay, and I ended up purchasing things, um, things that I probably shouldn't have purchased. But what I did was I made sure that I checked with my wife first, and I, I made sure that they were things that we kind of needed. And they were not expensive. I bought two, uh, pl- they're not plugs, but, um, you know, in the shower when hair goes down the drain, I've noticed that my daughter and my wife both are not cleaning the drain out properly. So I don't want any clogged drains. So for about $5 each, I bought two of these really cool things that seemed to stop the hair. Wasn't really necessary. Also bought another tempered glass for my phone which it hasn't broken yet. There's really no need for it, but it's just a just-in-case purchase, okay? But the good news is I've spent, (coughs) excuse me, a a total of about $18. That was my shopping spree. A lot better than $1,800 or $18,000, which uh, would not be uncommon back in the day. So those things went, went down while I was in that happy state of mind, so to speak. And then ultimately, after that happy state of mind, what ended up happening was, like I said, all that irritability and um, ended up, uh, basically, I ended up at the end of all of this reaching out to my uh, psychiatric nurse. And, you know, she happens to think that we are dealing with, in a nutshell, we are, we're certainly not dealing with bipolar 2. And the reason why is because I have not had a extended depressive episode. Uh, I believe it's two weeks or more. We'll read the DSM-5 when we get around to bipolar 2. We have to be specific. I don't want to go say anything wrong. But I've never had any depressive episodes that last a long time other than in the mixed states. The depressive episode that I had for 188 days, or actually 106 days, was in my opinion, medication-induced because of the Suboxone, so I don't count that. Otherwise, I would be a candidate for bipolar 2, so to speak. But what we think we're dealing with, and what I just explained to everybody, was a little bit more of of, of, of a reduced version of what I used to have that would last typically 7 to 10 days, this time around, it lasted three days. What my psychiatric nurse, nurse thinks is it's bipolar 1, uh, mania type, because I am not. And I, found, I just recently found out that with bipolar 1, 
You can have just manic episodes. You do not have to have depression, so to speak. Now, I have the depression with what my psychiatric nurse is calling mixed episodes, along with psychosis as well, which would explain the voices, which would also explain the previous diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder back in the day. It's very hard to come up with things. Um, But, you know, we're an hour into the podcast, and I'm going to give you guys a couple of more minutes. I'd like to just go with a bipolar 1 disorder diagnostic criteria, and bear with me, because I think it's important that we discuss this. And we're going to end it after we talk about this bipolar 1 and uh, the psychotic and mixed episode symptoms. But here's what they say about bipolar 1. For a diagnosis of bipolar 1 disorder, it is necessary to meet the following criteria for a manic episode. The manic episode may have been preceded by and may be followed by hypomanic or major depressive episodes. So, mine clearly was preceded by a hypomanic episode. That was, you know, the pressured speech, the little bit of spending and things like that. So here's what I want everybody to listen because you're going to have to start figuring out whether or not you are bipolar or not and what you're going to do to fix it. Manic episode, a distinct period of abnormal, abnormally, a distinct period of abnormally and persistently elevated, expansive, or irritable mood, and abnormally and persistently increased goal-directed activity or energy, lasting at least one week and present most of the day, nearly every day, or any duration if hospitalization is necessary. Now, it didn't last a week for me, guys, this time around. That's the whole idea here, is that they're not lasting a long time. Now, we, we could honestly say that it would make sense. I absolutely fit this criteria before medication. So that's why we, we have to go based on that and the history. A week, seven to ten days, without a doubt, that's how long, exactly to the T is what I would stay in. So that rings true for me there. Then the second part of this, so we've discussed the first part. During the period of mood disturbance and increased energy or or activity, three or more of the following symptoms, four if the mood is only irritable, are present to a significant degree and represent a noticeable change from usual behavior. So we have to have three or more of these guys in order to fit the diagnosis. However, if you're only irritable, you have to have four or more. Very interesting. So we need to have an inflated self-esteem or grandiosity, grandiosity, decreased need for sleep, feels rested after only three hours of sleep, bam, that's me. More talkative than usual or pressure to keep talking, bam, that's me. Flight of ideas or subjective experience that thoughts are racing, oh boy. If you could have seen what went on in that car ride, when I was blurting out those words and my the voices and the thoughts, they were racing and racing. Distractibility. Attention too easily drawn to unimportant or irrelevant external stimuli as reported or observed. So, distractibility is another one. And um, that goes without saying. You know, that's, um, that's certainly one that I, I kind of feel like I have all the time when I'm in my manic episodes. Here we go uh, for number six. So now we got, so far we discussed five of them. Inflated self-esteem or grandiosity, 
decreased need for sleep, more talkative than usual or pressure to keep talking, flight of ideas or subjective experience that thoughts are racing, distractibility. Then we have an increase in goal-directed activity, either socially at work or school or sexually, or psychomotor agitation, purposeless non-goal-directed activity. And I kind of engaged in all that stuff, unfortunately. Um, you know, I had lots of goals, okay, and they were all, they were all had a purpose, uh, so I think, anyway. Excessive involvement in activities that have a high potential for painful consequences. For example, engaging in unrestrained buying sprees, sexual, sexual indiscretions, or foolish business invest, investments. And yeah, there you go. I mean, you know, I had to literally stop myself from spending money. So, and I went on a little minor, little baby buying spree. So, um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the manic episode. Remember, you have to have at least three of those to fall into the category. Four, if the mood is only irritable, it sounds to me like I have at least seven of them, or six of the seven of them. Um, so, the mood disturbance is sufficiently severe to cause marked impairment in social or occupational functioning or to necessi necessi necessitate hospitalization to prevent harm to self or others or there are psychotic features. Bam. Or there are psychotic features, which I had the talking, unfortunately. Now, uh, in the past, uh, I was hospitalized. We talked about my hospitalization in another podcast very briefly. I will be talking about that hospital stay in great detail, great detail, um, if I have not already. And um, so, you know, I, I certainly fit the criteria there. The, the goodness is I have not, did not engage in any harm to myself or others, but nor did I need you know, hospitalization, but it's, it's, it was severe, to, and it caused a marked impairment in social or occupational functioning. You know, the, it caused a social impairment with me and my wife, and I was not half as bad as I usually am. So then again, uh, let's continue here. The episode is not attributable to the psychological effects of a substance, for example, a drug of abuse, a medication or other treatment, or to another medical condition. And this goes without saying, because um, if you are responding in this way to a certain drug that you're taking, whether it be a medication or an illicit drug, it cannot be considered to be a manic episode. There are other names for that. It's medication-induced mania, and uh, we will talk about that at some time. There is a special note here. A full manic episode that emerges during antidepressant treatment, for example, medication, actual convulsive therapy, but persists at a fully syndromal level beyond the psychological effect of that treatment, is sufficient evidence for a manic episode and therefore of a bipolar 1 diagnosis. Very interesting. So, if it emerges during antidepressant treatment but persists at a fully syndromal level beyond the physiological effect of that treatment, it's sufficient evidence for a manic episode. So, basically, you know, if you peak out, so to speak, if you start to engage in mania and it kind of lasts and lasts and lasts and then, you know, the, the medicine stabilizes and 
you are no longer on a therapeutic dose, so to speak, and it continues, the mania continues, it is sufficient evidence for a manic episode, which is very interesting. So criteria A through D constitutes a manic episode. At least one lifetime manic episode is required for the diagnosis of bipolar 1. And unfortunately, we got uh, more than one of them in my lifetime. So if you have at least one, it's a safe bet that you have bipolar 1 disorder. Now, <coughs> excuse me, uh, we are not going to discuss a hypomanic episode because really what a hypomanic episode is very close to a manic episode. It's, you know, an elevated or irritable mood, and uh, the difference here, and, and I'm going off memory here, guys, I believe it lasts only four consecutive days, and present all of the day, most of the day, or nearly every day. So, as you could see, when we talk about hypomanic episodes, they're not as severe as manic episodes. They lo they're not as long in duration which is maybe what I was kind of in. You know, maybe I wasn't in that manic mode. This mode that I was in, instead of being in that highly manic mode, because I'm on medication, I was able to kind of stay in a hypomanic episode. People tend to think that just because you're in hypomania, they're always good. It's always happiness. It's not true. Not true at all. Um, you know, and you would, if I was to go in to the diagnosis, which, you know, I'm going to look quickly at it, you got to have three or more of the following symptoms, and they're all very, very similar to manic episodes. Uh, but let's read the note. A full hypomanic episode that emerges during it. No, we don't want to read that. Sorry, it's the same thing. So as I'm reading, it's really the same kind of stuff here, guys. It just seems to be, you know, here it is, inflated self-esteem, and they only want you to have three. And it's the same thing, four if the mood is irritable. And flight of ideas, it looks like they have seven. So it's the exact same seven. Exact same seven. It's just less duration. Four days as compared to um, at least being in a week long. So it's very, very interesting. Now, quickly, we're going to go over. We're going to jump over to page 149 in the DSM-5 because I want to just quickly describe what I'm dealing with in terms of mixed features. Because that is the diagnosis that we have. Bipolar 1 with mixed features and psychosis. Uh, mixed features. The mixed features specifier can apply to the current manic, hypomanic, or depressive episode in bipolar 1 or bipolar 2. Manic or hypomanic episode with mixed features. Now, bet, it's a good bet that if you are having this kind of stuff go on, you are either bipolar 1 or bipolar 2, and we'll talk about bipolar 2 during another podcast, but it's a good bet that you have mixed features. Full criteria are met for a manic episode or a hypomanic episode, and at least three of the following symptoms are present during the majority of days or the current or most recent episode of mania or hypomania. So, obviously, you got to meet the criteria for a hypermanic episode or a manic episode, which we just described. So let's pretend you've now meet the criteria. You have at least three of the seven, or you have at least four of the seven if you're only irritable. You also have, you will have this. Prominent dysphoria, 
or depressed mood as indicated by either subjective report, you feel sad or empty, or observation made by others, you appear tearful. And that's what happened to me all the time, guys. I would just cry and feel sad and empty. and oh, What a horrible, horrible feeling. Diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities as indicated by either subjective account or observation made by others. And, you know, I told you how much I love walking. I I must have been in a little bit of a mixed episode uh, come Saturday, right, when I was irritable towards my wife because I didn't want to go for a walk. I I had no desire to complete diminished interest or pleasure. Uh, And then number three. Uh, psychomotor retardation nearly every day, uh, observable by others, not merely subjective feelings of, of being slowed down. So again, it's like this slow feeling that your your all your your motor skills and your ability to walk and talk and function is just like completely slowed down. So. Um, you know, horrible. At least, now remember, at least three we have to have. So those are the first three. And there's a total of six. I'll read the last three for you. Fatigue or loss of energy. Bam. That was like what happened right while I was screaming and yelling. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. Not merely self-approach or guilt about being sick. So I got to tell you, um, there were times where I would definitely feel inappropriate guilt, not about me having bipolar, just, you know, guilt, overall guilt. And then reoccurring thoughts of death, not just a fear of dying, but reoccurring suicide ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt or a specific plan for committing suicide. So um, I absolutely fit that during the mixed episode of Manic Mania. Very sad. So, you know, um, all these things are like depression, really, you know, components of depression that would take place during a full-blown manic or hypomanic episode. So you can only imagine, and for those of you who go along with me, (coughs) excuse me, that have mixed, um, what we call mixed features, you feel like you're losing your mind. Because not that any one is easier than the other. It's not, that's not the case. It doesn't, just because you spend two weeks in a depression or two weeks in mania or a hypomania without the other features, that doesn't mean it's easier. But I will tell you, if you're dealing with what I'm dealing with, you feel like you're losing your mind, really. You feel like you're losing your mind because you're, you're a wild person, but you're sad. That's the best way to describe it. So, um... And other than that, we're not going to talk about anything else because they, once again, talk about drug abuse and making sure that you're not abusing any drugs because then that does not count. Now, the psychosis. So this is another thing that I have. Psychotic features. Delusions or hallucinations are present at any time in the episode. If psychotic features are present, specifically if mood congruent or mood incongruent. So what that means... With mood congruent psychotic features during manic episodes, the content of all delusions and hallucinations is consistent with the typical manic themes of grandiosity, invulnerability, but may also include themes of suspiciousness or paranoia, especially with respect to others, doubts about the individual's capacities, accomplishments, and so forth. 
I'm not going to get into what I go through, guys, but I have this weird feeling a lot of times that I'm being watched, completely paranoid. Um, my wife says that I'm crazy, but when I'm in these states of mind with the psychotic features, uh, you know, I feel like people are actually looking at me through my cable box at a certain period in time, specifically during a certain time of, of day. And, you know, so I certainly fit this with mood incongruent psychotic features the definite that definition is the content of delusions and hallucinations is consistent with the episode polarity themes as described above or the content is a mixed or mood incongruent and mood congruent theme so um with mood congruent psychotic well, that's very strange because they, they, they're they actually saying the exact same thing. Um, with mood congruent psychotic features, with mood... Okay, so the, con- the second part they're saying, the content of delusions and hallucinations is inconsistent. Oh, very simple. In one sentence, they're consistent with the typical manic themes, okay? You know, the grandiosity and the vul- invulnerability... So, and then in the other sense, they're not consistent. Very simple. So they may not be related to the basic manic symptoms that you may feel, or they can be related to them. Um, they could just be completely psychotic, which to some extent is that paranoia that I feel it has nothing to do with my mania or, you know, the, the, the suspicion of others that go along with sometimes the manic episodes. They're just kind of uh, off the wall thoughts, so to speak. So, uh, that's that. They also talk about uh, catatonia. Um, part, part, I don't even know how to pronounce that word, so I'm not even going to talk about it. They talk about seasonal pattern and things of that nature. Um, so, that's where we stand. I, I want you guys to really start to think about where you stand. It's very important to me. Um, you know, I say these things and I describe my behavior and I share this with everybody out there uh, through my eyes uh, because I want to be truthful with you. I can't run around the world telling people this and give my first and last name because I will be viewed as somebody who probably shouldn't even be working with children when, when in retrospect I am actually a very, very... Um, very qualified and very um, professional person when I'm out there in the work field. But I can't. I can't tell anybody these things. Uh, I could talk to my sister, who I, and I could talk to my wife. That's about it. And I think I, I actually left my sister out before. I, I said I could talk to my wife, and if I never, if I didn't say my second part, I know I said it, she was my best friend, which. The other group of people that I could talk to is my podcast audience. So it's important that you guys listen to me, and not because I want to be listened to, but because I want to help. So if you are not medicated and you are suffering from some of these symptoms, you know, please, please, you know, play this podcast, play it to a family member, talk with a doctor, not a family practitioner, go see a psychiatrist. Okay. If you have questions, you could email me. Uh, email me at mrjobp at yahoo.com.
want to reach me by Twitter, I'm at Mr. Bipolar Joe. Uh, I would love to hear from you guys. You want to share a story or something, you could certainly reach out as well. I would be happy to share you guys' story with anybody that wants to share it. Ah, what an episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. You guys have a wonderful evening. We're going to talk about Bipolar 2 next time around. Thank you, guys. This is